Thank you, Steve. Uh, good to see so many of us uh, here today in the hall. And uh, we'll just get straight into our text for today, which is Matthew chapter 6. I'm sure this is a very, very, um, very, very popular and well-known portion in the Bible. In fact, this is a portion in the Bible, the Lord's Prayer, which is known by even the non-Christians, especially if you've studied in a Christian school or a convent. Um, you know, the first... So the main text for today is from verses 5 to 15, but I would just like to spend a little time on verses 1 to 4 as well. The PPT will come up a little later, so first we'll go through what the scripture has to teach us. So verses 1 to 4, Jesus is actually speaking to the, you can call them the publicity hounds or the, or the, or the publicity seekers. And verse 1, it says that beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. So Jesus is actually speaking to a Jewish crowd and a significant number of them were the Pharisees. And these are people who really, they would like to do things for God or they would like to do things for people, but they would also want to be seen as being uh, doing that. Um, so, so for them, it was, it, was, it was not like they were doing it unto God, but they were doing it in order to gain that publicity, which is why in verse two, it says that, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. So it is in our flesh. It is actually in our flesh that we want the appreciation and the claps from people. So Jesus is telling them that, you know, don't be like that. When you give to the poor, you don't need to stand and make a spectacle of it. Just give it to that person. And it says, truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. That is, if you have got the appreciation from men, that's it. That is your reward. There's nothing more to it. Your reward ends here on the earth. And when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is telling them about the value of, of being discreet. Discreetness is something that Jesus is emphasizing here, telling them that, you know, as long as your heavenly father knows it, then you don't need to make a show out of it. And then verse four, he says that so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Oftentimes, I'm sure this is something which we also battle with. Uh, when, when we try to do something for the Lord, we always might seek a word of appreciation. But, 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 just, but let us just remember that as long as we have done it for the Lord, it is it is a heavenly father who sees it and it says he will reward you. Okay, So these first four verses, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus is actually speaking to them about discreetness. Now, he takes the same theme and comes to the next portion, to the next section, which is about prayer, which is what we will look at today in a little more detail. Coming to verse five, it says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. Similar words are being used here. Now, who is Jesus talking to again for us to remember the context? Jesus is speaking to a Jewish society. And the Jewish society, prayer was something very significant to a Jewish audience. In fact, prayer was very integral to the Jewish uh, way of life. In fact, in a book, it says that no nation ever had a higher ideal of prayer than the Jews had, and no religion ever ranked prayer higher in the scale of priorities than the Jews had. In fact, some of the rabbis, their only regret in life was 
they are not able to pray much more than what they are praying today. In fact, there's a saying which says that he who prays within his house surrounds it with a wall that is stronger than iron. So that's how the Jews valued prayer. But there was a problem. And what was that problem? Uh, in fact, you know, in one of the books that I read by this author called William Barclay, it said that Jews had set prayers for every occasion. You name an occasion, they had a prayer. If they go out and if they are by the sea, they had a prayer for the sea. If you go and uh, if you go and, and stand next to a river, they had a prayer for that. They had a prayer for before the meals. They had a prayer for after the meals. They had a prayer when, when they see the new moon or when they see a comet or when they see a tempest. They had a prayer for everything. So then the question is, then what was the problem? Unfortunately, their prayers became just, just a... I mean, there was, their heart was not really in it. It just became another ritual. And, and, and for especially people like the Pharisees, it just became a means to, 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 to just show their, uh, to show their devotion to God. Now, if you just jog your memory, you will know the, uh, you might remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Now, while the tax collector was standing in the corner and beating his chest and praying and repenting, what did that boastful Pharisee say? He said, thank God that I'm not like this guy. So that is the audience to which Jesus is actually speaking these words. Okay. So verse five, it says that when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. This, this, you know, these guys were publicity hounds and they really wanted the applause of men, forgetting the fact that they are actually speaking and talking to God Almighty. And again, he repeats that same sentence. He says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, verse six, it says, but when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So how are we supposed to pray? Now, this is speaking about personal prayer. And it says that when you pray, go into your inner room. Now, I think one reason why prayer is often least considered amongst us is because no one really knows when you pray. Leonard Ravenhill, a, a, a very nice author who has written extensively about prayer, he calls prayer the Cinderella of the church. Now, why a Cinderella? Cinderella, if you remember the story of Cinderella, Cinderella was like a handmaid. She was, she was, she was not a very glamorous one, but eventually she becomes the hero of the story. And prayer is not seen by anybody. Now, if you preach like how I'm here today, there's an audience. I have an audience. If you're singing, there is an audience. People will come and tell you, wow, you sung well. If you're serving someone, at least the person whom you're being served will know that he or she is being served. If you're in the role of some administrative job in the church, there are still people who would see that and know that. But then if you shut your room and if you're going to pray, there's no one who sees that. There's no one who knows that but your heavenly father. Hence, he calls it the Cinderella of the church. And I just found that to be very profound because there's no one but the heavenly father who actually knows that you're praying. And the scripture says that the prayers of a righteous avail much. There's much to be availed while we are on our knees in prayer. And Jesus is telling them that, now go to your room, shut your door, pray to your father, the Lord of heaven and earth. He is, he's your audience and the one, and he's the one who sees what is done in secret and he's going to reward you. In fact, you know, the Jews, 
they they had this custom of praying thrice a day so they would pray at 9 am 12 pm 3 pm three times a day it's something like you know the muslims pray five times the jews pray three times and again if you remember the story of daniel they knew that daniel can be trapped only with his prayer because daniel would open his window three times towards jerusalem and he would pray so despite such a rich heritage of prayer jesus is instructing these words and then and then when we come to verse 7 it says and when you are praying do not use meaningless repetition as the gentiles do for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words he's saying you know don't be pompous you don't need to be so pompous with your words and you you don't be repetitive because i think that's what the gentiles did the gentiles again had prayers which were which was set prayers and they would just meaninglessly repeat this over and over again you know ironically this very instruction which jesus gave before the lord's prayer is i think the most broken today right the lord's prayer today is is repeated over and over again by certain people without really understanding the true meaning of it i'm not saying everybody is like that but i think a significant part of people are that way the lord's prayer is just repeated but jesus himself said that when you pray do not do not use meaningless repetition as the gentiles do for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words so those of us who are being who are struggling with our prayer life you know this is i'm speaking this to myself as much as i'm speaking to you that our great words and our fancy words are not really going to impress god let's just come to god as as we are and 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 the lord is there to listen to our prayers and that is what we that is what we can get out of this particular passage right don't use meaningless repetitions right it's not the externals that matter but come to god and beseech him and then he gives a pattern um as we as we move along and then when we come to verse 8 it says don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you even ask him you know this was a verse which i used to think that you know if the god if if the father really knows what i want then why are we even praying i'm sure this is a question that has come to many of our minds if I mean, what's the point in praying he knows it all he is sovereign he is supreme he's a god who knows the end from the beginning then why even pray but on the contrary this is a verse which should encourage us to pray because it says that for your father knows what you need even before you ask him now imagine you're making a petition to any kind of authority um and if you know that the person in authority actually understands your condition well you would be encouraged to approach that person right that would be an encouragement for you because you know that this is a person who actually understands many even before even better than i understand it for myself so this verse should actually be an encouragement for us to pray and not be a deterrent and that's why it says that don't be like them for your father knows he knows he knows better than you what you need so let's ask him you know god wants us to 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 be dependent on him he we are commanded to pray and which is why we pray we are not praying just because god doesn't know our situation but we 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 pray because we are commanded to pray and the dependence and our strength we draw from from god so now we come to to the to the heart of the uh passage which is which is the lord's prayer itself now you know many now many commentators have said that this portion should actually not be called the lord's prayer it should be called the disciples prayer because he was teaching this to the disciples and verse 9 says pray then in this way 
our father in heaven hallowed be your name you know the word that is used in the original is abba abba father and um, and uh, you know abba is a very very dear it's a very endearing term uh, which is used to to call the father and for a jew you know they were jews for people who would not dare to take the name of god on their lips because for them the god of the bible was the god of mount sinai thunder lightning and fear and and quakes and all of that and they for them it was blasphemous to even take the name of god on their lips and here jesus is telling them to call him abba you know even i think in uh, even among the muslims some of them call their fathers as abba if you've read the book seeking allah finding jesus by nabil qureshi he tells a lot about his father and every time he 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 talks about his father he calls him abba in that book so god is our dear father he's a intimate father with whom we have a personal relationship and jesus is telling something which was totally uh, uh totally contrary to what the jews practiced because for them god was this distant being and he's saying he's your abba father and says abba father who is in heaven he's god who is seated in the heavens he's god who is sovereign he's god who is in his place of authority he is in the heavens yet he is your dear father so come to him with your prayers and petitions like how you would go to your dear father and it says hallowed be your name what is this hallowed be your name you know the jewish people when they put a name for their child Uh, each name would have a meaning so you know right jesus emmanuel it means um, it means uh, god with us so like that jewish names had various meanings now benjamin meant the son of my right hand isaac meant laughter and so on every name had a meaning unlike maybe some of our names like i don't know what my name means it's just a name right but the jewish names had a specific meaning and here it says father hallowed be your name god his name is holy the when you when you when when the name of a person is called it evoked in people's minds the imagery associated with that name and here it says god his name is hallowed holy is his name holy he is separated he is the lord almighty you know when you make a petition to somebody it depends on who he is it depends on what his character and nature is and here it is god who is holy and hallowed is his name and that is the god we approach when we come to him in prayer okay and he's holy he's set apart yet he's your intimate father who is abba your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven what is this your kingdom come you know the kingdom of jesus christ was established when he was on the earth and it is going to see its fulfillment in his return and this is a prayer which is asking us to pray that his kingdom would come it is a prayer that is asking us to long for the return of the lord jesus christ you know in the in the in the early church they used this phrase called maranatha which meant come lord soon and that was the prayer of the church that they would pray that the lord would come soon and people were living in 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 light of god's imminent return so we are asked to pray for the arrival of the lord jesus christ and as we pray for his kingdom to come i don't think any of us can pray for his kingdom to come when we are not ready 
when we are expecting someone at home, we would be ready to invite or expect that person to be coming home. And here it says that when, you, when we pray that your kingdom come, our lives got to be orderly. And as we pray this, we need to pray for our life to be orderly. Now, there are several things that we can pray for as we pray for his kingdom to come. And one of the things which I thought is, uh, especially in the light of this church that we are in, I thought one thing that we can pray for as we pray for his kingdom to come is considering that there are so many of us in this church who are from first generation backgrounds. Can we pray for each of our family members and friends for all the others who have not come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if the Lord were to come tomorrow, where would these people be? And there are so many of us, there are so many families here that who need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And can we pray? Can we stand on our knees and pray for these people? Again, sometimes, you know, too much of theology sometimes can cloud our minds. We might think that, no, but what if they are not elect? What if, what if, what if they are not God's chosen? What if they are not predestined and all of that? But hey, listen, God does speak of election. God does speak of his sovereignty and all of that. But God is also a God who answers the prayer of his children. And the Bible is full of examples of God answering the prayers of his children. You know, I read this fabulous story of uh, Beale Moody. This is a little book that I have called uh, Questions of Life by this author called Nikki Gumbel. And he, he, he actually speaks about um, Beale Moody. Beale Moody, the cobbler turned uh, evangelist, he, uh, he, had, he maintained a list of 100 people, 100 of his friends who he wanted to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, 100 friends. And he would repeatedly and faithfully pray for these friends of his. Over the years, I think he lived till about 67, 70 years. And all his life, he kept praying for these 100 people. And at his death, do you know how many of these 100 people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of these people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ? 96. 96 of these people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ by the time D.L. Moody died. Now, do you call that coincidence? Do you call that some kind of a happenstance? No. The Lord answered D.L. Moody's prayer, and these people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought that was incredible. Now, what is incredible is what happened to the other four. Okay, the story doesn't end there. What happened to the other four? They came to know the Lord at his funeral. Hundred of them came to know the Lord. D.L. Moody, he spent, he spent time on his knees and he wept for them. And all hundred of them came to know the Lord. Church, the Lord is a prayer answering God. Let's remember, let's make a list of our family members. Let's make a list of our friends. So many of us, we have spent a lot of time with, with, with our friends. You know, yesterday at CG's home, I met a schoolmate of mine along with his wife and we were talking and it was so incredible to see him. And I was and, and uh, apparently Siji had started some Bible study where he was also there. And I was just suddenly thinking, you know, so many friends we have spent our time with. But can we, can, we, can we sincerely pray for them so that the Lord will open doors and they can be with us in heaven when the Lord comes? And as we pray for his kingdom to come, let's remember to do this. And then it says that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Honestly, this is the most difficult prayer to pray because 
praying for the Lord's will to be done. Because we often know what is best for us, right? We often know which is the best job. We often know which is the best place to be in. We often know how we should, what profession we need to take. We know which is the best guy to marry. We know which is the best girl to marry. And then, oh God, it's so difficult to pray that your will be done. It is so difficult. You know, Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, she said that God has not always answered my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong man several times. Right? I mean, we know that eventually she and Billy Graham, how much they ministered uh, all over the world. But, but, you know, we need to pray for the Lord's will to take place, be it in our personal life, whatever, whatever that we are. And he knows the best time. He knows the best place. He knows the best person. He knows it best. But we are asked to pray in his will so that we are never out of his will. You know, this author called Chuck Swindoll says that there is no greater relief than being in the center of God's will. It is the greatest place to be. It is the greatest place to be in the center of God's will. And here it says that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven, where the Lord rules, everything is perfect. It is as per his will. And it's saying that pray Pray that on earth his will will be done as it is in heaven. A little bit of heaven here if everything is as per God's will in our life. So, so difficult, so difficult. I know that, you know, sometimes it is so, you know, when we pray for certain things, finally, you know, when we pray, Father, let your will be done, we are sometimes thinking, man, I hope that, you know, his will matches up to mine. But we should pray that the Lord's will be done. And then verse 11 says that, give us this day our daily bread. It just looks like a simple phrase, give us this day our daily bread. But you know, when I was preparing for this sermon, um, this is the verse that spoke to me the most. And what is, and I'll tell you why, what does this verse speak about when it says, give us this day our daily bread? It actually tells us to depend on him for a day-to-day material needs. Right, day-to-day material needs, not the big things in life, but day-to-day material needs, your food, shelter, clothing. Now, I think food, shelter, clothing. Now, how many of us get up in the morning and pray, Father, today, let there be a roof over my head. Today, let me have clothes to wear. Today, let, you know, let there be food on my table. We might pray for food once the food is served, but do we really pray to God and ask him to provide for a day-to-day material needs? And I don't. And I don't think many of us would actually do that. Because why? Because we know that for a day-to-day, we have enough. We know that there's some money in the bank. We know that there's a roof over our head. We know that, that there's, there's always some food on the table. How many of us have in our entire lifetime skipped one meal because we couldn't afford? We would have skipped a meal because we were traveling. We would have skipped a meal because we were maybe dieting. We would have skipped a meal maybe because we were fasting. But have any of us, you know, gone to bed without eating a meal? We have, we in fact eat more than three meals. We in fact have, have, have money for, for even multiple snacks and dessert. And we've never understood the value of, of food, right? And here it says, pray that give us this day our daily bread. You know, if, you're, if, you, if you've studied economics and if you've studied about the Great Depression, you, 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 you know, in history, there has been instances when overnight money lost its value and people just threw off their currency notes because it had no value. 
that happens in conflict zones as well, especially in Syria, Afghanistan, all these places, suddenly money has no value. All the money that you stacked up in the bank, it can't buy you anything. You know, it can happen to us. There are people in our country itself, there are homeless people on the streets. The Lord has been kind to us, right? We, we, we have comfortable beds to sleep on. We have food on our table. We have excess food on our table. But do we, do we really depend on God for our day-to-day needs? And, you know, I was just thinking, maybe for us, again, the group that we are in this church, the reason why maybe we don't depend on God is because we are all, I think nearly all of us are born into middle-class homes. And in our middle-class homes, the basics of life we have right from the time we are born. Whereas if you speak to your previous generation, if you speak to your dad's generation, your grandparents' generation, it was not like that. They are the people who bridge that gap between, you know, the have-nots and the haves. They gave us education and they bridged that gap. But that generation, they were mostly doing agriculture. They were subject to the vagaries of nature and they truly dependent on God. Whereas we, from the time we are born, we have the comforts of life and we don't depend on God for our day-to-day needs. You know, this time when I was in Kerala, um, uh, we were there for an extended time and and I've never had this kind of a conversation with my dad. And I just wanted to understand his, his uh, you know, how he was when he was young and how he grew up. And, and, you know, some things that he told me fascinated me. He told me that after they, uh, I think after he finished his 10th, he had to leave home because there was really nothing at home. And he goes all the way from Kerala to this, to imagine down from, down, from down south, he lands up in Guwahati. And in Guwahati, he worked for one month in some kind of a refinery doing some odd jobs. And due to some politics there, he was thrown out. He was out and he said, I had absolutely no money, no money to even eat food. And what he would do is there was a Gujarati who used to run a little eatery where you could give some some money and you could eat, eat as much as you want. And so he said, since I was eating only one meal a day, I would go and just stuff myself and then go there the next day. And he said, you know, going from Kerala, he didn't know English. So he would go to a public library in Guwahati. And he said there were four newspapers. If I remember right, he said, Assam Tribune, Indian Express, Statesman, and one more paper. He said, I would read from front page to the last page, not understanding a word of English. Because he was just trying to learn the language. Eventually from Guwahati, he goes to Kohima, which is the capital of Nagaland. And then again, he did some odd jobs during the day. In the night, he went to university to do his BA. And by God's grace, he graduates. And for a person who read the newspaper and learned English, he then later becomes a reporter in the Legislative Assembly in Nagaland. And he was telling me, you know, how how God was so kind and merciful to him. Now, these are stories that each of your parents and your grandparents would have as well, if you talk to them. But we, we have taken all of this for granted. Pray, guys, pray. Pray to him. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray to him for your today and never take anything that we have for granted. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is not speaking about the forgiveness that we have at the cross, which we remember today. This is speaking about day-to-day forgiveness, the parental forgiveness that we need. It's like if you're walking on a if you're walking on a dusty road, you know, at the end of the day, you will need to wash your feet because of all the dust that has accumulated. This is a description I, by the way, read somewhere. 
he's asking us to go to God to, to, to get forgiveness for our day-to-day -day sins that we would have committed in our words, thoughts, and actions. We need to go to God and ask him for forgiveness because as much as we are saved and as much as we are in him and as much as the righteousness of Christ is in him, you know, in 1 John chapter 1, it asks us to go to him and seek his forgiveness because of the sins that we accumulate on the way. And it says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It is assumed that you will forgive your debtors. We'll come to verse 14 before we go to verse 13. It says, and if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Now, when it is asking you to, 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 to ask God for his parental forgiveness for your day-to-day -day sins, God is also expecting you to forgive other people, right? In verse, in verse 12, it says, as we have forgiven our debtors. And verse 14 says, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. You are expected to forgive others because your father has forgiven you of much more. Can you, can you believe it? I mean, all what we, all what we heard today since morning, right from right from hearing from Jevin about how we were by nature children of wrath. We were destined for eternal damnation. We were supposed to rot in hell. And the impact of God forgiving us is such that it affects not just this life, but it affects all of our eternity. We were supposed to be like the rich man and Lazarus. We would have looked out and waited for somebody to come and, 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 and give us a drop of water to quench our parched throats. But God forgave us. God forgave us not because we deserved it, but just out of his grace. We didn't deserve it. We, again, like we heard today, we were dead in our trespasses. And I always have this image of a corpse when I read that verse. I mean, what can a dead man do other than lie there and rot? There's nothing a dead man can do. But God in his mercy made us alive and gave us the faith itself to put it back on him so that we are saved. And God has done so much for us, but yet we find it difficult to forgive someone else. Whatever that must have been, however bad that must have been. I was just telling Dima that, you know, as I was reading through this portion, there was someone in my life, I found it so difficult to forgive this man, though it's been a couple of years since I stopped working, since I worked with him. And, and every time I thought of him, it was anger and you know i was seething within me all the time but that is wrong because i have been forgiven of much more my my eternity has been secured as a result of god's forgiveness yet i find it difficult to forgive the people who have wronged me along the way we are asked to just forgive because when we forgive people you know it says that if you forgive others for their transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you. You know, at the core of our faith, at the core of Christianity is a relationship that is, that is rooted in forgiveness. The cross is a symbol of forgiveness because all our punishment was placed upon that cross, upon, the, upon Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross and his righteousness is upon us. And we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Verse 15 says that, but if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. So that's a very serious thing. That's a very serious thing. Think about the worst person in, in our minds that we are not able to forgive. Right? 
Now you're not asked to forgive them because they deserve it. You're not asked to forgive them because they are they they asked you for it, but you are asked to forgive them because you have been forgiven. In fact, if you come to the previous chapter in Matthew chapter 5, there are some verses which will help us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? It says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? What's the point? What's the point in loving people who are anyway going to love you? Then how are you different? It says, do not even the tax collectors do the same. We are being a tax collector. But we are asked to love and forgive even those who don't deserve because we didn't deserve it in the first place. And then it says, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So if there's anyone listening to me here who's struggling with forgiving people who might have done whatever they did in the past, forgive them. Forgive them. Christ forgave us. We are commanded actually to forgive them. Verse 13 says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sometimes, I don't know how many of us sincerely pray for our for God to you know, put boundaries around us so that we don't slip and fail. Now, temptation could be any temptation, right? It could be temptation with regard to money. It could be temptation with regard to relationships. It could be temptation with regard to anger. It could be, it could be anything. The word of God says that, you know, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Never think that we have arrived at a place where, you know, we can do it. In my strength, I can do anything. You know, Satan is on the prowl. The enemy is on the prowl. If you remember the story of Job and God asked him, what are you roaming around? You know, Job says, right, he's busy trying to, he's working up his plans. And then God says that, you know, spare my servant, uh, uh, Job. So, so, so the enemy is constantly on the prowl. And, you know, we should pray and beseech that, 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 you know, we have the grace and the wherewithal to resist temptation which Satan throws at us. You know, when I was growing up in my uh, Christian life, there was this one person who encouraged me a lot. And through his sermons, I, I, uh, frankly, it is, it is this person's life and his teachings which got me excited in the Bible. I, I, for the first time, began to realize that the scripture can be so exciting. The scripture can be so interesting. There is so much in this Bible to be to be to be uh, to be taken out, you know, um, and 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 uh, um, what do you call it? call it? Unfortunate that I also happened to see what sin did in the life of this person and the havoc it created. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you think you know the Lord. It doesn't matter. You might be an elder. You might be a deacon. You might be anybody in this church. But you know, Satan is always on the prowl like a lion. To, 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 to pray on us. And we can't do it on our own strength. Just plead with the Father and, and just beg of Him and tell Him that, Father, protect me from the temptation that is there all around us. Till the day that each of us have breath in our nostrils, we will be tempted. And we need that protection of God till we leave this world so that, so that we are delivered from evil. 
So, so church, this is primarily what the what the Lord's prayer is about, right? Let our prayers not be mundane. You know, I I, I sometimes use this um, this I don't know what you call it a technique or a format called as acts, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That's a good construct as you pray. A is adoration, right? Start your prayers with adoring God, worshiping Him for who He is and what He is and all that He's done for us. C stands for confession. And when I say confession, you know, confession means say it again. You know that 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 wrong thing that you did today, the thought that you had, whatever it is, just say it again and say, Father, I ask you for your forgiveness. Confess your sins before God. Just don't say that, Lord, forgive me from whatever I've done today. Not like that, right? So that you know where you've gone wrong and you ask God for forgiveness. T, thanksgiving. Thank him. Thank him for the smallest of things. Like we, when we um, you know, discussed about the material things, thank him for the little things, the clothes and the shelter and, and, and even the most mundane things, just thank him for, right? I mean, I think this COVID situation would have, would have taught us to be a lot more thankful for everything in our lives, including the relationships and the work and everything that God has given us. And S comes to supplication. You know, we are asked to pray for everything, all people around us. We are asked to pray for, for, for our country and for authorities and, and, and everything. We are asked to pray for that. So that's a good format, uh, which, which has personally helped me and um, you know, I, I hope it uh, helps you as well. So now having spoken about now, now this portion primarily speaks about a personal prayer, but then there is, we don't have time to go into a public prayer, but then we, but as a church, we have responsibility for public prayer as well, right? Because in the old Testament, if you read some of the Psalms, they're speaking about how God's people came into the house of God to worship him. And we are supposed to cry out to God, even together as a church. You remember the story of Peter when he went into prison, the church came together and they were fasting and praying. And eventually the angel sends, um, uh, eventually God sends an angel to take Peter out. And then Peter gets back uh, to his very brothers and sisters. So, you know, we find examples of the church coming together and praying. In Acts, we also know that people came together to study the word of God, fellowship and prayer. And prayer is often the most neglected meeting in any church, not just this church, in our church as well, right? Because maybe prayer is like the Cinderella in the church, the least glamorous. If we have, if we have a performance, I'm sure many, many more of us would be there. But prayer, mm -mm. what makes any of us think that the Sunday morning gathering is more important than the prayers? There is really nothing to even suggest that. You know, there's, there's this quote that I read which says that Satan laughs at our words, mocks at our toil, but trembles when we pray. We need to pray, church. We need to pray. And, you know, I, I have awfully been reading some books about uh, the revival. So I, I recently read something about the Scottish revival, and I'm right now reading a book on the Welsh revival. And it speaks about how God's people came together to pray, and God's spirit moved in a mighty way to bring revival upon the land. Don't you think India needs a revival? The solution to all the problem that India is facing today is, is not another political revolution, but Indians need to see Christ. Jesus needs to be known. 
And for that, the church of God, have, we have to come together and pray. And in our prayers, we actually pray for India. We pray for the missions in India. We actually pray for many other countries as well. And I would, I would, I would really encourage each of us to consider coming together and praying. In fact, we have a prayer this evening as well. So before that, I just want to sum up. Georgie? So we'll just, um, in, in summary, th these are the things that we discussed here today. Yeah. So we, sp we spoke about how the Lord is asking us to shun publicity. Okay. He wants us to be discreet in all that we do, be it serving the poor or uh, be it even praying. So discreetness is commanded. Even if no one sees, the Heavenly Father sees what we do in secret and he will reward us. We spoke about, we, we, we came to the Lord's prayer. We said, Father, hallowed be your name. His name is holy. His name is hallowed. And just like how the names of people would evoke in us the, 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 the imagery associated with that name, the Lord whom we are talking to, he's holy and he's hallowed. Kingdom come. We need to pray for his kingdom to come. And as we pray for his kingdom to come, we need to pray for all the other things that we want to set right if his kingdom were to come. And we, we saw just one example, which is how can we pray for more people to come to know the Lord? And we saw the example of uh, D.L. Modi. And along with D.L. Modi, um, you know, there's this one more example, which, which I had read. You all might know of St. Augustine. He was one of the greatest theologians of the, of the early church. And Augustine was, was a mess in his growing up years. As a teenager, he had he had gotten into bad company. He was foul-mouthed. He was disobedient. He, he, as he grew up, he even joined a cult. And he even fathered an illegitimate child. And Augustine later, when he comes to know the Lord, he tells this one thing that, I came to know the Lord only because of the tears of my mother. She would spend tears for me every day. And which is the reason why I have come to be what I am. And he always gave credit to the prayers of his mom. So church, remember that we have a duty to intercede and pray. We need to pray for our material blessings. Yeah. And we need to practice forgiveness because we have, we have been forgiven of much more. And our forgiveness impacts not just this life, forgiveness impacts our eternity as well. And then we, 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 we also read about, we also studied about how we need God's protection so that we are not led into temptation. And how, um, you know, in, uh, in fact, in chapter 5 and verse 48, it says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In the Old Testament, we, we, we read that be holy as I am holy. So holiness is the Lord's command and not the Lord's request. Those are the words of a song. And, and, and you know, we need to pray that we are not, um, we don't fall for Satan's temptation. So that's what broadly we had to cover today. Um, you will get these, uh, these, these slides for us to go, to go through. And I hope that you have a good discussion in, uh, in the cell groups as well. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, uh, for this morning time. We want to thank you for allowing us to come to your presence and we praise you for allowing us to remember you, Lord. Um, and we thank you for all what you've done for us on the cross of Calvary. Father, we want to thank you for what you taught us through the prayer that you taught your disciples. Lord, let's always remember, Lord, that we never deserve this. Let's, we, we, we were destined for uh, eternal hellfire and damnation. But we want to thank you for your grace. 
which uh, which brought us to your fold, Lord. And we want to thank you that um, that this was only made possible because of the death of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to thank you, Lord, that today we are redeemed. Today we are not condemned, but we have your righteousness upon us. And today it is only because of that that we are able to come to your presence with boldness and confidence and to call you Abba Father. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to call you Abba Father, our dear Father, Lord, our intimate Father. And we praise you, Lord, for that. We pray that um, you would be with us for um, the rest of uh, what we do here today, Lord, and that your presence would rest upon us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's most holy name we ask and pray.